0: everyone and welcome to another episode of solace in the city today i am with enna solmanovich did i say that right Mm -hmm. cool um and yeah i'm really excited i actually just messaged her on instagram and turns out to be a really awesome person which you all see (laughs) in this in this episode so um thank you so much for being here i guess my first question is like where are you from um how old are you tell what's your story
1: um, so, to begin, I'm from Toronto, Canada. I was born in America, so I have dual citizenship, but I grew up basically 18 years of my life um, in Toronto, just outside of the city. Um, I have two younger brothers, two parents. Um, one brother actually went to college with me in the States, so I went to um, Cincinnati to swim on a scholarship there. And now I am working in New York City uh, doing some brain injury research.
0: And um, I'm turning 23 next month. Nice. Happy almost birthday. Um, So you grew up in Canada and uh, were you always an athlete? Like, did you always play sports?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started actually as a dancer. I was a ballerina for a really long time. I think it was honestly at least 10 plus years. And I stopped when I started to get a little bit more involved in swimming so my brother, um, one of my younger brothers, started swimming before I did. And I needed to find some way to cross-train. Um, so I started uh, doing competitive swimming. And it was eventually just lose a little bit or not go to some um, swim practices for for ballet. And then it was, okay, Miss Ballet practice for swimming. Yeah. So I ended up getting really good at it. And um, I stuck with that for a really long time. So, yeah, I, would, I mean, through my high school experience, all I did was swim. My head was kind of up my own butt a lot. I just loved swimming and um, everything I did, like whether it was eating or whether it was um, like my sleep, my schedule was all revolving around
0: sports. Yeah. What was like before, no pun intended, diving into swimming, Mm -hmm. um, what was your experience ballet? Like I was also a ballerina and now it's the, there's like the stereotype of it being really intense and Mm -hmm. your teachers being mean. Like what, what was your experience with that?
1: No, I had a great, 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 um, experience dancing. I, um, uh, my teacher, her name was Miss Bell and I absolutely loved it. Um, it honestly brought me so much joy just being up on stage and it was a lot different than swimming. It was, I mean, it's art, it's art. It's not um, very structural. You can do whatever you want and convey whatever message you want. So I was lucky. I had great teachers. I had a great. Um, not teammates, but like dancers with me. Um, and I loved competing all the time in that too. I miss it a lot now. It's like one of the things I watch, I still go watch like the national ballet mm-hmm. or, um, watch videos on like Facebook of like the and still follow them all on Instagram that I've always really loved and enjoyed growing up. And, um, I do miss it,
0: but I mean, it ended for a good reason. So, yeah. And then did you have that equal love with swimming? You said like everything revolved around it
1: yeah I mean it was definitely like ballet was my life and then I switched um because I realized it was more so of a strategic decision where I can get college paid for like literally don't pay a single cent which I didn't have to for college if I swam or you know I don't know how much longer I'll have in ballet even though I was really good at it there's not there's always an end point in mm-hmm. dance because it is very intense on the body like there's no way of getting up around it you're going to be injured um and um yeah, so I ended up loving swimming as well. It was a love hate relationship though for a long time because you're very tired. And it, I mean, we trained at 1.9 times per week, yes. and it was at least five hours a day. Um, and it was it was intense. And I would say that I lost a lot of friends in high school just because I didn't have time for people. And that wasn't the most mature thing ever. Um, but I mean, it, I needed to get that scholarship and to try to succeed in it. So.
0: So what was – once you got the scholarship and um, where did you go to school? I went to the University of Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. And what was that like being a D1 athlete there?
1: I mean, that was an ex- that was an experience. I had the most unconventional experience because of um, an injury. But being an athlete, I mean, if anybody ever has the opportunity to be a collegiate athlete, take it. I know that there's a lot of negative connotation out there about the NCAA right now and what – people's perceptions are from the outside but from the inside out it's a lot different and um, it's also I was privy to a lot of things after my injury um, which I uh, not a lot of other athletes got to experience either so I loved my experience yeah I had great coaches great teammates and a really great environment to be in I don't think that I mean everything
0: happens for a reason but I don't think my story would have ended up the way that it did if I didn't go to Cincinnati and but. Before- what did you have like any or feel any pressures or stress at uh, the time you were swimming? Like, I know it's a very it's kind of one of those sports where it is a team sport, but at the same time, you have to put so much pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. What was that like?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's external pressures and there's also internal pressures. So, I joke about it now, but back then, um, I mean, it's stressful. You go to morning practice, then. You you know, you have to get up for that, then you go to class, and then you've got to balance every single aspect of your day up until, like, 10 p.m., and you're like, man, now I just got to go sleep and do it all over again tomorrow. So there are a lot of external factors, like, okay, you're swimming for your team. You're not swimming just for yourself anymore like you were when you were younger. But also, I mean, any competitive person, you just want to get a little bit better each day. And so in swimming, it was always just get one millisecond better. Yeah. and Like, literally, yeah, every time you swam and you know that you did your job that day but if you didn't it's really you get really hard on yourself and so I was definitely hard on myself for a very long time um and it took a took a lot like basically losing everything in order to understand that it wasn't I didn't ever have to be that like upset about things just go with the flow
0: yeah so um do you mind just kind of sharing with my listeners kind of like what happened to you with your injury and Mm -hmm. kind of the story that I, I read online
1: yeah so um I mean, the story <laughs> that everyone reads online isn't always as comprehensive, so yeah, I'll try to give a little bit more detail. But yeah, so I was training for Olympic trials my freshman year. We just finished up a conference, and I did not swim very well. I think I was tired. I can't really remember what I was feeling at the moment, um, but this was like end of freshman year. The season was just done, but I had about a month and a half left of training mm-hmm. until some like I could consider it summer, because in Canada our Olympic trials happen in April. So we finished conference. It was like a four-day meet. Got back. The week after that, it was a Thursday morning. And uh, like I said, I was just tired, dead tired. And I, my roommate at the time, we had our beds connected um, because she was injured as well. So we, just, we were really close, and we wanted to um, sleep next to each other, just have our um, bunk beds beside each other in the room. So my phone fell behind my bunk bed, and I didn't – the alarm was going off and I didn't want to wake her up so I tried to jump off my bed to go and get it really quickly um because I was going to morning practice and she obviously didn't have to train that morning and I I guess somehow when I I meant to put my hand on the cabinet mind you the bed's like lofted I'd say about five feet off the ground yeah so about my height and um I just fell I was so tired I just remember like nose diving into the ground and it wasn't a soft ground. It was like concrete covered by carpet. It's just a dorm room made out of cement, you know? And uh, yeah, I woke up a few minutes later, my roommates like yelling at me, trying to throw pillows at me to wake me up. And I guess I had knocked out. I really don't remember. Like I remember falling, but after that I don't really remember much. Mm -hmm. And all I did was hop right back into bed. Like I just got up, woke up stunned and went to sleep. I woke up about two hours later and I mean, my head hurt really bad because I had hit my head on the on the concrete and like knocked out. But, um, I went to the trainer later that day and I said, look, I, um, our trainers are like our athletic trainer like our doctors, whatever not. And so I went and spoke to him. I said, I hit my head this morning, like falling out of my bed. I didn't go to practice, but, you know, can you check me out? So we did the whole impact, not the impact testing, but, um, just there on, we have a concussion baseline we do, um, at Cincinnati and, um he checked me out, he's like, you probably hit your head really hard, like, you're concussed, you know, you're showing all the symptoms, so I ended up working with our um, neurologist, um, who ended up becoming my really close mentor and really good friend um, later on, and he helped me get back to normal, essentially, like, no more pain, because, I mean, I had a biology exam the next day, that was the most gruesome experience (laughs) ever, just trying to study for this test, and I'm concussed. But yeah, so a month later, I ended up getting cleared for swimming again. And I jumped into the water that morning. And I just felt like this really random, kind of like point pain in the middle of my back. And what I know now is bony tenderness, like, because I've worked a little bit of medicine. Now I know that, oh, I'll be a break. <laughs> I just kept swimming through it. And my coach is like, go to weights, you know, go see the trainer afterwards. And then trainer was like, go to weights, come see me afterwards. We just didn't really know what mm-hmm. it was. And we're like, okay, just go and do your thing. and Come back and we'll figure it out. I did a clean pull um, in one of them. And I was like, okay, man, this kind of hurts. Then I did it again. And I was like, man, this really hurts. And I did it a third time and it just popped. And um, fell to the ground and didn't know what was going. Like I couldn't feel my legs because I guess I had done something really bad. I got carried up to the training room. And we did an x-ray. And it turns out that when I fell out of my dorm bed that month before, I also hit my back and I fractured it, a tiny little fracture. Um, But we didn't think of it because it wasn't hurting me at the time. It wasn't doing anything while I was concussed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess when I fell or did the clean pull again, it made it worse. And I actually ripped the muscle off the spine where it was broken. So I had an avulsion fracture up in the middle of my back. And, um, throughout therapy and stuff, I ended up developing a spondy, which is when one of the vertebrae shifts forward as well. So that indefinitely put me out because, um, I need essentially the only option is to have surgery or, um, live with the pain. So I had to decide or be told
0: that I couldn't swim again. So, yeah. So what was that like? And you obviously grew up swimming, mm-hmm. dedicated your life to it. Like what were your, was your initial response kind of how'd you process that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it took about eight months. It wasn't, it wasn't like an immediate decision after that. I, like I said, it was about a month out of Olympic trials when I fell out of my bed. And then when I got cleared, it was like a few weeks left. And we were like, yeah, it's fine. You, you fell, you hit your head, you'll be okay. You'll get back in the water. And I mean, I didn't get back in the water for eight months. I had tried to swim a little bit over that summer. I did therapy every day. I was doing absolutely everything I could to feel better, but nothing was working. And I think that was the hardest part about it all was just understand, like trying to cope with, okay, I'm doing everything I can, but this is not going my way. So how am I supposed to fix this? Mm-hmm. So there was a really big learning curve, but also um, it was just like in a, an inevitable pit of like sadness for a really long time. Um, and then nobody really mentioned the words medical disqualification until like November. So, I mean, I fell on my bed in February, got back in or, did the, the whole clean pool incident back in March. And then about eight months later I sat in my um, tra- head trainer's office and he closed the door and he was like, I have to do this eight times per year. And it's the worst thing that I like worst part of my job. But he said, we're going to have to um, medically disqualify you because it's under the next four years or the next 40, you know, and mm-hmm. um, he was trying to look out for me. And so if people don't know, medical disqualification is when, um, In the NCAA, you're protected if you have an um, athletic-related injury. You will get to keep your scholarship, essentially, and still be a part of the athletics program, but you just cannot train or compete. Mm -hmm. So um, I was a liability at that point. I'm just in a lot of pain. I've tried injections like no other, about 20 different kinds, and it was a lot. It was so much to handle, and it wasn't getting any better. So he looked at me, and he said, you know, it's now or never. Like, you don't want to make this worse because the rest of your life could be at stake if you, you know, it's your back. It's not like it's your hand and you can use the other one. You only have one back and one chance at this. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, I mean, I remember begging him to do absolutely anything else. I was like, can we try a few more injections? Can we do this? Can we do that? Because the day before, actually, I went to go see the surgeon and my dad was with me and he looked at my dad. He said, look like we're just going to, we're not going to do the surgery we're just going to try to find some other options here you know we'll see see what we can do and um but the, even the surgeon looked at me and he was like look it I don't know that you should keep swimming and so my dad was like are you telling her to give up is this it you know then the next day it just came out of nowhere really um so it was hard it was really really hard for say about a year and a half um it's a whole identity shift people mm-hmm. you know like when people leave the military and they um, come out of that, you, you still feel like you're a part of it, obviously, and there's so many different factors to that. You know, use that example because people come back with PTSD, you know, they come back um, with so many different issues um, and their life is totally changed. So it's the same thing. You know, you've been doing something for so long, you've prepared your whole life for this and then, you know, a freak accident happens and I can no longer swim where I can barely walk at one point because it hurts so bad. Um, so it was a really, really, really dark time. Um, I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done, just, you know, trying to cope. Uh, it was the only way I knew I was in college, so I'd stay out, you know, I'd hang out with people all the time, would slowly stop doing my homework, and definitely fell off a little bit on the school thing, and I was studying studying biology, so it wasn't easy, but I did the very bare minimum in order to survive. I just wasn't really taking care of myself, and it wasn't until um, the people around me started to notice and started to
0: um, pull me out of that, so we're gonna take a quick break and I kind of want to hear about how that's transpired and everything like that okay so after the um you were met- medically disqualified you mentioned that you were still considered a D1 athlete and still given the same sort of like resources I guess um if you couldn't participate what were the differences like what did you receive um versus what couldn't you do
1: so yeah, um, my coaches and my coaches were really awesome in the experience. They, especially my head coach Mandy, she made sure that I got to stay as involved as possible. And I mean, it was my choice. You don't have to stay involved when you're medically disqualified. You can leave, you, you know, you can, uh, you can go to a different school if you want to transfer. Um, you can go home, it's up to you. But I mean, I had built my life here now, and I had a really good support system. So she let me stay on kind of in a team manager role, and they removed me from the roster. So there's legislation in place where you can't pay for, like, injured athletes to travel. So she removed me from the roster, um, and I served as a volunteer assistant to the team. So I got to travel, and, um, and it all made it legal in that sense where I could um, go to every meet, be basically the teammate that I always wanted to be. Um in that role there now. So because mm-hmm. I had more time. I had more time to, you know, be there and sitting on the side of the pool, I started to notice everything that I had might've done wrong before. So it was, it was hard, but, um, it was much better than, you know, having to leave or, um, being on my own. So I got, you know, to, you know, to stay involved in that aspect, but also because it was a medical disqualification. I mean, I still had my team doctors. I started seeing a psychiatrist, um, I apologize, a psychologist, um, for therapy weekly, um, just because it was a really hard transition and he, you know, the athletic department wanted to make sure that I was okay and taking everything day by day. So that was one of the resources, um, there. And I mean, basically everything stayed the same. It, the only thing that changed was I was not getting in the water anymore. And I still had a right to, if I wanted to like swim on a lane on the side mm-hmm. and go back and forth, but it was way too hard. Like I'd watch my teammates and i man I wish that I could do that like this was everything um and so it's more of a mental thing at that point as to why I didn't get in just to have fun um but I definitely got to serve as a even though I hated being called coach um I wanted to be a teammate you know I didn't Mm -hmm. want that role at all but I served in that
0: role in a sense just a a sense with a different title. Gotcha And, and did you feel like your mental health was affected at all by the um injury? Yeah, that was the biggest part. I mean, physically still, I have pain to this day and it's been
1: five years now. Um, But it, yeah, I mean, (laughs) everything I've done since then has been because of my mental health. And that's how I kind of got involved with the NCAA in um, promoting mental health awareness, especially in injured athletes and male dominated fields where you know, if they get injured, they're not going to be the ones to reach out and go seek help. And a lot of the times they don't ever receive that help after that happens. So, yeah, it was very affected. And I think I'm a much better person now because of it. Because I got to see and learn and understand what other people go through when they suffer these big losses. You see, Um because, yeah, On the outside looking in, people could be like, it's just your sport. Like, you're still alive. You're still, you know, but it's all relative. Like it was my life. So mm-hmm. it really changed me directly, like drastically. I think I'm a better person for it though. So.
0: And if I'm not wrong, you helped conceive the Powerful Minds Initiative. Was this afterwards?
1: Yeah. So this happened say a year after my injury, I was, um, elected as I rep to the National SAC, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. So how it works is that every school, NCAA school, has to have a SAC. Um, then each conference has one. So there's 32 conferences in Division One, and then there's a national one. So I got the role to serve um, – As the national sac rep for my conference Um, and so I traveled to India all the time I basically traveled all over and represented student-athletes within my conference Um, and one of the big things that I pushed was mental health because now I had a huge platform in order to do this Um, But yeah within the conference my friends and I and one of my best friends Morgan um, we started a initiative within the conference called powerful minds we kind of we were sitting in a room when this was conceived this was my sophomore year and we were, um, yeah, end of sophomore year, summer, we were sitting in a big room in Rhode Island at the conference office and, um, we are looking at each other. There's like 12 of us from each school in the conference and we'd never met each other before this event, but we left best friends. All of us to this day That's are awesome. still best friends. Yeah. And there was not a single dry eye in the room as we were discussing what we wanted to focus on that year. And we all just unanimously decided mental health. that like, there's an issue we need to address it and how are we going to do it? So we came up with the powerful minds initiative, which is um, an initiative spearheaded by our conference to promote mental health awareness, but also, um, promote mental health resources that are available on our campuses, because what we're finding is that athletics that's on a college campus is so secluded. Everything is done within athletics and housed within athletics. If you're an athlete, everything happens, you know, as an athlete, you're not really considered a normal student. Um, And that's such a, that's hard. That's a really big barrier for student athletes because there's so many resources out there. How do we make sure that they get to them? Same way vice versa. We wanted to promote, Uh, mental health awareness for normal students um you know and make sure that they're getting the care that they need as well because they probably have their own barriers and jobs and things that don't allow them to get that care so yeah we started this initiative it's now going it'll be into its fourth year next year it's in its third year now um and it basically the whole logo is a green ribbon um for mental health um, awareness and we ended up getting a lot of um really important uh, celebrities or athletic celebrities involved um, to promote the initiative. And it really, it did some great things. Like I look back on it uh, during our first year, about I was told 50% of our football team went and saw um, one of our sports psychologists. And we now have three at Cincinnati. When I started, we only had one and he was there maybe a few hours a week, but now we have three and it, it was awesome to see how many people cared within the conference, just because like I was able to say, look, this affected me. Did it affect you too? Yes. Okay. Let's do something. And every, it resonates with everyone. You can't ever say that mental health doesn't, does never affect you. Yeah. It's universal. It affects everyone in one way, shape or form. Every single person you will ever meet has been affected by mental health. It might not be them, but it could be, you know, someone they know that also impacts them. So it was awesome to just
0: see this come to fruition and see what it is now. That's so interesting. So, you said that, you, like, 50% of the football team went to see a therapist. So they weren't, I guess, like, you weren't obligated to see a therapist while you were in. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like that's, I mean, I'm, like, a very big advocate for therapy. Yeah, it's literally just an opportunity yeah. to talk to someone, exactly. um, especially it's, if it's free. Like, mm-hmm. I look back at college, and I'm, like, so grateful that therapy was free for four of, like, you know, the most transformative years. Yeah. Um. I guess what other... How did you, I guess, promote, like, the therapist? How did you get the awareness out for, like, the football players to go see, um, go talk to someone?
1: Yeah, we, I mean, the whole purpose of the initiative was just to make sure that people understood that, like, look, everyone goes through this. How can we help you? How can we make sure that you are taken care of? Um, So we did a lot of outreach um, within our schools. But, I mean, this was conference-wide. Like, every school within the conference, there was 12 schools. Um, did their own things on their campus that were particular to them. So, for example, at Cincinnati, um, we had events that we would coordinate and we would table random things, just outreach to remind our student-athletes, like, look, you are not alone in this. You have the resources here. How do we make sure that you get access to them? And a big thing that I realized throughout all of it, I mean, as a small white female, um, it – And I came from Canada where things are a lot different (laughs) growing up than they are in America. You know, like I I laugh about how different things were and how my experience was different than other people's here. And um, I was never, I can never say I was a guy and, you know, I can never say I was a different race. But it was, that's what I love about sports so much is that it gets people off the street. Literally sports, you know, is going to one day cure all evil. So we have a melting pot of people. It's such a diverse group. Mm -hmm. And so not... not everyone felt like they needed it or not everyone felt like they could access it, but we had the resources and especially for the football team or for the basketball team. And I think back to my like really good friends, I have one really awesome friend um, who ended up transferring He's a football player. And he, you see, seeing how he, you know, dealt with his own things, his way. And then I have a really good friend on the basketball team and like how he dealt with his things, his way to um, everybody was different. And so we really tried to hone in on the male population as well, because they're the least likely to go and seek out mental health resources. But it's also and not just males in general, it's like football, basketball, ice hockey, um, also women's basketball, they're not the most likely to go and reach out for help. So we tried to hone in on that. And um, we incorporated the Powerful Minds campaign into the conference championship. Um, we had like a week of games where we had green games so everyone on the team would wear like either a green ribbon or had green socks green hairbands and then we would um, talk about it during the game there would some schools did essentially like a podcast kind of um, interview during the like halftime of the football game to kind of spark people's interest and I mean it brought And a lot of really cool people, like I said, um, a lot of cool uh, celebrities out there talking about it and tweeting out about it. Like we made it kind of like a social media kickoff. So everyone uses that, you know, and if you're promoting it that way, it's really awesome. Um, So yeah, we just did as much outreach as we possibly could to make sure that everyone knew it existed. And then from there, our schools kind of took over and made sure that, you know, donors were started to donate money towards, you know, different initiatives, um, And the conference eventually this year, I believe they donated a certain amount of money to each school to promote mental health and this initiative in general. So people, it took time and it took a lot of buy-in because athletics, like I said, is very like exclusive, very, you know, to themselves. And even as an athlete, and I was an athlete that got along with everyone, it was still really hard for me to convince people that this was important. So, I mean, now three years later, um, I still get emails from people and texts from people saying like, man, I read your story or they're like, can you help me figure this out? Who can I reach out to? And I've never had, now I,
0: no one ever says no to me. So. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I like have, after you shared your own story, did you notice people kind of confiding in you and reaching Mm -hmm. out to you? Yeah. I think the biggest thing was just the the closest people around me because
1: I mean, I'm a very independent and secluded person in general. Um, I don't like to talk about myself. Like this is already a step too yeah. far for me. I'm like, Oh man, I'm talking too much. Um, but yeah, so it was the people closest to me just reaching out. That was the first thing I noticed being like, look, I didn't know that you felt this way or I never acted like this. Mm-hmm. Like especially because of the magazine that came out about me for the NCAA, the champion magazine. Um, People back home. I mean, I didn't. I don't really talk to many people from high school, but I had so many people reach out to me after reading that story, and they're like, "I had no idea." And they're like, "I've been going through the same thing too." Um, I have athletes from all over, honestly, all over America, still to this day, reach out to me and they're like, "I read your story, and I'm going through a similar thing. Like, can you help me out?" And um, but I think the really awesome one was I think it was like a 75 year old man reached out to me on Facebook. Through Facebook messenger. And he was like, I used to go to Cincinnati and I was depressed. And I'm just so thankful that now, you know, like 50 years later that they're doing something about it. He said, I wish I had that. Or there was a past teammate um, who I never swam with. Like he went to school maybe five years before I did. And he reached out to me on LinkedIn and he was like, I read your story and I feel like we are just that much closer. Like I've only ever met him once in person, but We talk now all the time, so it's it's really awesome to see like how it impacted people and how just one person, like I'm no one, you know, compared to all these people in the world, but I meant something to people. So uh, at least my story did. So it resonated, and it was awesome.
0: That's so great, and it's so true, though. I mean, there's such a stigma around talking about mental Mm -hmm. health, and. I feel like the minute you just somewhat break that barrier and somewhat share like a little bit about yourself, Mm -hmm. people all of a sudden feel like this huge like wall come down and that they can give that back.
1: And that's like the biggest thing that I think about. I'm like, if my story meant this much to someone, imagine what, you know, when DeMar DeRozan or Kevin Love these really high end basketball players that everyone looks up to when they talk about their struggles I mean, that's touching the masses. You yeah. Know? Like, it's just awesome. We need more of that. We need people to talk about their struggles because the worst thing you can ever feel like, especially when you're going through an
0: injury like I did, is to see you feel alone that no mm-hmm. one else understands. So, yeah, I'm just thinking about, um, and I forget his name, the football player for the San Francisco 49ers, Solomon Thomas. Mm-hmm. Thomas, That's the thing. Like, he just did, um, call it you have your cleats, like, for a, a charity. I forget what the
1: like thing. donated his cleats,
0: or no, like the it, something with like their cleats are for a specific charity. But he chose the AFSP, which oh, I okay. Was,
1: okay yes. yeah. yeah,
0: and it, yeah, it just shows like the huge impacts that a like small
1: mm-hmm. thing can
0: do, like wearing cleats that the have a
1: thing makes a difference. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. definitely. So now that you've graduated, mm-hmm. um, how do you continue to spread awareness around this cause and?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I will always be an athlete. Um, that's like a word. It, it took me a long time to also realize that like, it's okay to define myself as that because I was that for so long. And even though I got taken away against my own will, I still can't identify as an athlete. So I mean, I try to stay as involved as possible. So I work still with some people at the NCAA. Uh, I still try to stay as involved as possible, even though I'm not on my college campus to promote the initiative. And I mean, I think it's as simple as on Instagram, you know, just making sure if I like post something related to it, like people still talk about it and ask me about it and doing things like this. I think it's really important for people to still, you know, just hear your voice. So I try to stay as involved that way. Um, but I do also work with the Jed Foundation a little bit. Um, they're housed here in New York City and they're an advocacy group as well for um, not only suicide prevention, but just mental health and wellness in general. Um, and so I've definitely worked with them on a few events, like their storytelling event recently, which was a really awesome and eye-opening experience, um, to again, share my story, but in a different light and, um, working with those advocacy groups. And I mean, the work that I do now, I study brain injury research. My goal is to one day, hopefully by the end of this year, apply to medical school. And, um, I would love to become a psychiatrist. That was, that's my end goal. Uh, now the MBA, uh, has the openings for um, psychiatrists as well as, as um, mental health practitioners for each team. And I think my dream job would be um, a psychiatrist for an NBA team. So I'm hoping that that one day happens. That would be so cool. Do you know what team you'd want to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm you know a Raptors fan. I so if I can stick with the Raptors. That would be really cool. But, I mean, I love New York City, and I would love to stay here. I'm realizing that you can be anything you ever wanted to in New York. So I'm really hoping that I could stay here as well. Definitely.
0: Oh, my gosh, that dog is so <laughs> yeah. loud. Um, that's so cool. So, where are you at? You're doing the medical research at um, Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so that's I awesome. work at, on the Upper East Side, the main hospital um, at the yeah. Burn Injury Research Center. And so I work on a few studies. Um, if you want to donate your brain, hit me
0: up. Yeah. I <laughs> like brains uh, for people, and one of the studies I work with. So That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take another quick break and then end by asking you a couple of questions that I love to ask and end that's with. Good. Okay, so a couple of these questions might, I don't know, be kind of obvious for the answer, it's Okay. but um, I don't know if anything happens to pop in your mind that's like different or whatever. So the question, first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today?
1: I mean, I could definitely say my injury. i I look back on it now and it was the biggest blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. I think I needed it. And I would never have ever wished this experience upon anyone else because I think I harbored so much pain for so long and I could never watch anyone ever suffer like I did. But it made me, you know, a 10 times better person. It made me empathize with so many people. Even in the line of work that I do now, I can sit with my participants and be like, I hit my head too. And I know exactly how you're feeling. And that is something so important to me is to be able to empathize and look at someone dead in the eye and say, I understand you. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so terrible not being understood. So I think it's, um, definitely my injury was
0: one of the biggest things that helped me be a better person. And kind of on a similar note, Sorry. <laughs> hopefully it's not too buzzy. Um, do you believe everything happens for a reason? I think you might have mentioned it more. Yup. Man, if I could get that tattooed on my forehead.
1: Um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. We might not know the reason. We might not ever know the reason, but there it doesn't matter. There was still a reason. there is a purpose to it. I, I, like I look back on simple things that had happened um, throughout the injury, throughout my experience in college, and um, I would not be here in this moment sitting doing this podcast right now if... Literally everything happened any different, you yeah. know, even the slightest little thing. And whatever's up, I'm not a religious person, but whatever's up there is looking out for every single one of us. And he would not put something where she would not put something in front of us if he, they knew that we couldn't handle it. So,
0: yeah, yeah I completely agree. Okay. If a crystal ball could tell you anything about yourself, your life, your future, or anything else, what would you most want to know?
1: I would just wanna know what comes next. I've developed a really big fear of death and um, the unknown throughout this injury because every, or not even injury, just throughout my lifetime, every single thing, like I said, happens for a reason. Um, but half the time you don't know. And I struggle with not knowing a lot. Like I, um, my grandma passed back in August of um, was 2018. And I think after her death, a lot that I, You know, that was a big, big change in my life. And I mean, it still sticks with me today and I still don't understand why she had to go. And so, like, I I look back on that and I think, I'm like, man, if I could, I don't want to know when I do die. But I want to know that, like, am I going to accomplish everything I've ever wanted to? Because so much of my life was planned and it didn't go according to plan. Mm -hmm. So it really... I just want to know if, like, everything I'm doing now is worth it, you know? Because um, I just want to make sure that I'm living an impactful life, whatever for someone, for someone out there. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely
0: think you are. Like, oh, thanks. Just given, like, <laughs> your, so. where everything's like led you, that you could give back your own story, and in addition to just, like, I mean, you're 22, mm-hmm. like, 23, like, you have, I mean, granted, <laughs> no <my> children, <laughs> like, giving my wise words of advice, but yeah. From a third party perspective, you definitely are making um, an impactful or have living an impactful life. My next question is: Do you have a quote or a mantra that you live by?
1: Yes, things are as they are. We suffer because we imagine different. Um, you know, you some, there's things in our control, and there's some things that are out of our control. Um, the way you react to any situation is going to impact how, like, what the reaction becomes or what the ending result is. So I honestly try to live by that every day where, you know, if something happens and something is put in front of me, how am I going to change the outcome rather than how am I going to let it just impact,
0: you know, the rest of my life. Um, so that's something that I definitely stick by every day. I love that. Okay. My second to last question is what do you love most about yourself? Hmm. Um, I mean, I am
1: just a, that's funny because I recently, my mom's probably going to be listening to this, but I recently got into a fight with my mom. Um, and I love her to death, but she looked at me and she said, you're too nice. You're too nice to people. And, um, she wasn't necessarily mad that I was too nice. There was more of a story to it, obviously. Uh, but she wants me to become like stand up for myself a little bit more in situations. But I think that's the best part about me. Um, but I, I, I want to help everyone. Like, I see <laughs> it's just simple things. Like, I'll go to an ATM just to pull out, you know, money if I don't have cash for a homeless person and come back and give it to them because it, that, I want to know that everyone's okay. Um, I want to know that everyone goes to bed happy. But I mean, I can't be that person for everyone. But I think just, yeah, being too nice sometimes. I love that about myself. I'll, I'll keep being like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> When's your birthday? Wait. January 30th. So, really
0: like, a Pisces? Aquarius. Aquarius? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I had someone on the podcast who explained to me that, so she was an Aquarius, and she said that like it means you like to know everything, but share it with everyone. Mm-hmm. So you'll be like, oh, I you know, be like, oh, I like your shoes. And you'll be like, thanks. I got them at like 50% off at yeah. Marshalls or something like that.
1: I have to let everyone know. Yeah, I mean, I, I look back, I look and think about it. I'm like, if I ever won the lottery, I wouldn't keep it. I'd yeah. give it away. I do yeah.
0: need it. I love a good life anyway, so that's awesome. Um, okay. My last question, which is the name of the podcast is how do you find solace in the city?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I'm just, I'm brand new, brand spanking new to the city. I've been here for just a few months now. Um, loving my job or working at my job. Um, people, I think people bring me so much joy and, um, like I think, i literally gone to Uber out of the airport when I first got here and I asked the Uber driver, what's your favorite part about the city? And he was like, you could be anything you've ever wanted to be, no matter who you are. Everyone comes to New York City to find their joy and find their solace, you know, and I think that um, just the people here, you know, get, I always talk to strangers on the subway, always. And if they ever approach me, I'm never standoffish about it. Um, I just love meeting people. And I think that that's definitely how I've found my love for New York City.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for letting me record with you. Oh, you're such you. an interesting person. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, where can all my listeners like follow you or, you know, read your story, give back to yeah. the organizations
1: you're a part of? Oh man, that would, that would mean a lot. I mean, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, it's just E N N N E R Z. Well, the Z as you guys in America say, um, a lot of stuff that I do is up on there. Um, but I mean, I highly suggest just you know reaching out and following the Jed Foundation, um, the NCAA in general, um, AFSP or the American Foundation on Suicide Prevention. Um, any you know, all these organizations are doing some of really amazing things for mental health, and I think it's really important for everyone to just get some tips, um, you know, do some events with them. Um, And, you know, follow along, especially if you're an athlete, you know, following the NCAA and seeing what the Sports Science Institute does or the new legislation that's out there for mental health um, that I was lucky enough to help push through. Um, I think it's really important. Knowledge is key. So just keep searching for it. It's
0: awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Bye, everyone.